Welcome to the Doc G Show, a radio show cluster. Without further ado, critics have said he has the face for radio and a voice for silent films. Your host, Ben Doc G Gordon. And we are on the air. Welcome. To the Doc G Show, I'm your host, Doc G. With me, as always, the one, the only, Mikey Maximus, the Fernicus, Charette. What's up? What's up, Doc G? How you doing, man? Hmm. I'm like a 9 out of 10 today. I'm not going to lie. I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good. I don't know what it is. We all know, I think the lowest you've ever given us is like an 8.5. So So true. (laughs) Sometimes it's an 8.5. You know, if Mike's a positive guy, listeners, <laughs> he's a positive guy. He's not going to give you. I mean, there are days I'm not a high or low guy, as Mike knows. I'm not going below like a, a six. Nope. Probably not going above an eight and a half. Nope. You got, okay. I've got to do something just absolutely amazing to get me to that, you know, yeah. nine level. That's right. Like, that's yeah. insane. That's but you're feeling it, huh, Mike? I feel it. I feel good. It's, well, it's we've had a big week. We've yeah. had a big over the weekend. We got some wild news. We got oh, what some, happened? I I think you heard about it. It was uh, one of our dearest and closest friends of the show. Hmm. Tom Brady is coming back to the NFL, Mike. He is. He yes. is coming back. Yes. He, Tom Edward Patrick <laughs> Brady. The roughly 430-year-old quarterback is coming back to the Mm -hmm. NFL. Say what? Which, by the way, Mike, that's his full name. Did you know that? Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. No, I didn't know he had two middle names. I'm not sure, but that might be the whitest name ever. (laughs) (laughs) Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. Jeez. Wow, that's white. That's why. <laughs> I mean, your last name is the name of a famous family on TV that was super white. Wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. Now, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up, Mike, uh, about Tom Brady is uh, I'm not sure if some of the listeners of the show are familiar with me and Tom's uh, relationship. Mm. You know? Um, I'm sure some of them were probably like, wait, did he just say that Tom Brady is one of the dearest and closest friends of the show? Yes, I did, listeners. (laughs) I did. Uh, Let me remind the listeners that don't know, Mike. Let's let's take a trip back down memory lane real quick. Okay. Uh, Let's go. (laughs) May 15th, 2019. So coming up on three years ago, uh, I sent an email to Team Brady. Sweet. Team Brady. Just the whole, he's got a whole team. Isn't that cool? Okay. I don't have yeah. a team. We don't. Nah. Not yet. That's a fact. It's me and you. Not yet. It's me and you. This That's all we team, got. <laughs> um, now, on Team Brady, Jacqueline took my, uh, took my email. Jacqueline said, I quote, Hi, Ben! Exclamation point. Mm, that's big. Wow. Note the excitement, Mike. Note yeah. the uh, that's only reserved <laughs> for the closest confidants. Yeah, it is. If this is just Jeff from accounting, she's gonna be like, "Hey, Jeff." Blam. She might not yeah, even put, comma. 
She might not even put hey. She might just Jeff, comma. Jeff, comma, that's it. That's it. But I got hi, Ben, exclamation point. Yeah. Thanks Huge. so much for reaching out. Hmm. Are you taking note, listeners? That wasn't thanks for reaching out. That was thanks Thank so you. much. So much. So much. That's right. Mm-hmm. It's obvious at this point that Team Brady was hanging on by a thread and just needed some positivity in their lives, Mike. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, my God, I can't believe Ben Gordon reached out to us. I feel so privileged. Jacqueline mm-hmm. was through the roof with excitement. and she So she, much. She poured it out onto her email screen, Mike. Um, yeah. Continuing on. Hi, Ben. Thanks so much for reaching out. Unfortunately, Tom is unavailable at this time. Oh. Best of luck with your show. Hmm. Now, now, uh, could Jacqueline let me know why Tom was unavailable? Sure, she she could have. She could have. She could have if I was a loser nobody, right? <laughs> so true. But Jacqueline realized I'm a mover and I'm a go-getter. I've got things going on. She knows uh-huh. I don't have time for details. I'm a busy world conqueror. Get to the bottom line. And she did. Mm-hmm. She was yeah. just, she's like, bottom line, unavailable. I know. It's a tough blow, but I'm going to give it to you fast. I'm mm-hmm. ripping the Band-Aid off quick. <laughs> you know? Thank you. Now, uh... You know, I mean, the last thing about that is she says, she, she says then at the end, best of luck with your show. Mm. You know what? Wow. Mike, she knows, and I'm sure the listeners know, the gravity that line carries. Yeah. She knows that when she's saying best of luck with your show, what's really coming across is Tom is a huge fan of your show, <laughs> and if there's any possible way that he could make it on your show you bet your yeah. sweet be on it yeah but yeah. since he I mean, can't come on your show he 100 percent endorses your show yeah i mean she did say at this time in the email at this time yes! just at that time only that's it Not, that's it he that can't come on time. the show but he loves your show 100 percent. you know that's mm-hmm. that's yeah. that's a fact did i infer that yes <laughs> Would anybody infer that in that email? Of course. Of course. And you know what, Mike? It meant a lot. Yeah, so true. It meant a lot. Uh, I I hold that email dear from Team Brady. Mm -hmm. Uh, And since Tom uh, Brady supports us in that way, we support him in that way. We definitely do. Yeah, we do. Ever since that email, Mike, I have been a Tom Brady supporter. (laughs) <laughs> and you, and you can you can check you can check with my friends. I wasn't before that. Nope, oh. wasn't really a Tom Brady supporter, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can listen to the Ben Cody uh, interview. I brought it up in that interview. That's that's the way it is. But uh, we're BFFs now, and yeah. that's what. And I couldn't be more excited that Tom is coming out of retirement. Mm-hmm. Me neither. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm sure. Was he in retirement for 40 days? Yes. Yeah, it wasn't long. But <laughs> he's out, and that's nice. You know? Yeah. Would it have been nice if he would have chose to come on our show and announce he was coming out of retirement? That would have been awesome. That would have been huge. 
It would have. <laughs> but I get so what true. he was doing again, Mike. I get it. He has so much faith in the show. He has so much belief that he's like, they probably wouldn't have time for my announcement. I get mm. it, Tom. Thanks. Yeah. We appreciate the confidence. Yeah. Now, Mike. But he was wrong. We would have had time. <laughs> That's a fact. We would have had time. We would have. We, we don't have anything else to do. I just rambled on for eight minutes about nothing. Um, yes! Mike, I wanted to give a little bit of uh, of Tom Brady facts. before we, Tom Brady is 44 years old. Jeez. And uh, he's coming back to football at the age of 44. Mm-hmm. Granted, he left the game of football at the age of 44, but he's still coming back at the same age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had two <laughs> presidents that have been younger than that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, we have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Theodore Roosevelt, JFK, both younger than Tom Brady mm. in the president's office. What? Wow. Jeez. What? The average age of an NFL player, 26. Mm. 26. Brady is a senior in high school older than the average NFL player. What? What? It's insane. When Tom Brady started college, Tupac was still alive. Wow. Yeah. That was a while ago. That was a while ago. When mm -hmm. Tom Brady started the NFL, the World Trade Centers were still standing. What? Really? Yes. That is crazy. Yeah. I know that. Tom Brady started the NFL before Moe's was a restaurant. Wow. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Tom Brady is three years that. older than Applebee's. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. A great spot. And <laughs> did it? Riblets. Riblets, Mike. <laughs> Riblets. Oh God! Yeah, anybody? That, I I don't know if anybody out there has had riblets. Ew. Uh, <laughs> if you're as white trash as I am, but if you are, they are the weirdest. Like they've got these little—I don't even know what they are. It's like they've got like fish scales in them. They—they're not because mm. they're not ribs. Nope. They're they're these little just like they're literally look like like a guitar pick of cartilage. And you Ooh. eat around them. I don't know. Is it, like, is it like the McDonald's rib sandwich in any way? That texture, uh, so, somewhat. Yeah, I mean, it's got similar flavor and everything. Yeah, the the McRib, the McRib, <laughs> the McRib. And it, <laughs> it's. I think it's back. It usually comes back once a year. I do believe the yeah, McRib. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I. Anyways, both of them are white trash food, and I've had both, <laughs> folks. So, what does that make me? Anyways, <laughs> um, Mike, the point is, Tom Brady is old. Yeah. And he's still playing football, Mike. Yeah. That's a fact. The confidence, the longevity, unparalleled. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody. I want to tip my hat to Tom, our greatest and best friend of the show, Mike. Mm-hmm. Tip of the hat. And I'll tell you what, yeah. Mike. He has inspired me to make sure this show goes for at least 23 seasons. So true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> at least 23 seasons, listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If my best friend in the world and lover and supporter of this show can go for 23 seasons in the NFL, 
I can go for 23 on this podcast. Easily. Let's do it. Are you ready to fire it up, Mike? Let's do it. All three engines up and burning. Two, one, zero, and liftoff. Mike, fantastic show. Surprisingly, we don't have Tom Brady on as a guest. Nope. Um, But we do have Pete Muller. Very excited about Pete. Just a a jack-of-all-trades, this Pete. Um, Just uh, making making millions of dollars in the financial world with quantitative Mm -hmm. trading. Yeah. Quantitative. I don't know. You know, I... I, I, I should ask him if you can do that in the digital coin currency, Mike. You know? I think you can. Some guys have built programs. Well, I mean, that do that. as good as he is, he should he should probably make his own, his proprietary yeah, blend. You know, that's mm-hmm. a fact. And and you should get in on it. And I would be in. You should be a He's millionaire. Doing well, you know. He's doing well. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. I'm sure yeah. that. Uh, and then you can fund the show. Yeah. And, then we can drag Tom Brady in mm-hmm. with our lucrative profits. You know, mm-hmm. he's yeah. not—he's not a money man. He won't be drawn in. He's by not. No, 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 no. Yeah. Anyways. Wait. What? Pete <laughs> is also an amazing piano player, amazing musician. He's on his—I uh, do believe—sixth album. Six album now. So true. Uh, he's been making albums for the last two decades. Uh, he just, he makes some great music, uh, fantastic band that he's been touring with. He also, we need to tip a hat to him because he saved, uh, uh, dozens and dozens of live venues around the uh, country to, to keep bringing in live acts. I, I would imagine mm-hmm. that includes many comedians. Mostly. So true. Oh yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, Definitely. they, they share a stage often with live music, you know? We share a lot of the same venues most of the time, yeah. Just saying, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, before we get to Pete, we uh, we need uh, we need to start where we start, Mike. Oh, yes, that would be the birthday suit. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Now, Mike, uh, interesting day <laughs> of the year. Uh, three NBA players, all born today on March sixteenth. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. Pretty pretty wild, right? Mm-hmm. And they're all pretty good players. Like, okay. I mean, in the N- NBA. So, mm. the best one is the first one. So, here we go. Okay. Born on March 16th, 1994 in Cameroon. Our birthday suit wearer grew up loving sports. Played volleyball and soccer constantly. And it wasn't until 15 that he started playing basketball. He very quickly decided basketball was his sport, and he modeled his game after Akeem Olajuwon. He came to America when he was 16. He was a five-star recruit and decided to go to Kansas. In his one year at Kansas, he was a uh, he was all Big 12. He was Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, and he almost averaged a double-double. But he missed the NCAA tournament because he fractured his foot. He declared for the draft and was selected third overall by the Philadelphia 76ers. Hmm. 
Hmm. His first couple of seasons, he was plagued by injuries. But since then, he's gone on to be a three-time All-NBA player, five-time All-Star, and currently is front-runner for MVP this season. Trust the process and Hmm. name that birthday suit wearer. Joel Embiid. Correct. Nicely done. Yes. Joel. There we go. Man, are you a fan of the process? Uh, yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the process. I saw him and uh, KD had some words a couple games ago. That was fun to watch. But uh, yeah, he's having a great season. I got. I got to be honest. I I, uh, I side with KD a little bit on that. No offense to Joel. I'm sure he's a fantastic person. He yeah, seems yeah. like a joker. <laughs> I like him. I like yeah. him in the joker fact. But uh, I gotta. I mean, KD. He's got two of the coolest nicknames. I mean, yeah. uh, as the as the listeners know, I'm a huge fan of Slim Reaper. Then he's also yeah. got the Easy Money Sniper, which, mm-hmm. come on, Easy yeah, Money. It's a great name. I was thinking about this because I was actually literally walking down the sidewalk last night thinking about nicknames uh, of KD, and I was like, <laughs> what about the Long-Armed Longhorn? Hmm. Hmm. Because, you know, he was a Longhorn, Texas Longhorn. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was. And he's got so really he's long arms. Yeah. That's a fact. It's not that good, nope. but it's uh, a little at alliteration. <laughs> so, yeah, you know. It's pretty good, though. Just saying. I, I, I want to have a list sort of like I do with your name every now and then at the beginning of the, the show that's like 75 nicknames for KD. <laughs> That's what I, I want to do. I mean, he deserves it. That guy went off for yeah. like 50-some points the other night. KD. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joel uh, la- lost to uh, 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 the Joker on Monday night. Loosen to Wait, Denver. who's the Joker? Oh, yeah, Jokic. Yeah. Jokic. Jokic. Yeah. Jokic is just... We've talked about Jokic on the show before, but eh, that dude is the most unathletic looking athletic dude ever (laughs) like he he does some of the most crazy plays that you're like that was insane but it looks yeah like he's never worked out (laughs) never like but yet he's just he's such an amazing player it's crazy he's awesome you know Mm -hmm. but anyway i got super sidetracked we were talking about joel Embiid, and uh it's his birthday he's turning 28 28 joel wild you know yeah, yeah. It seems like he was just in the in the league the other day, you know. Yeah, but and then again, you forget those first couple of seasons when he was injured. So like, the process took the a process. while. Process took mm-hmm. a while. Anyways, yeah. happy birthday, Joel Embiid. Let's see if you can win that MVP, man. Let's see if you can get it. Hopefully, uh, he gets it. Mike, are you ready to rip some headlines? Yeah, let's hear it. What's going on in Florida? It's now time for Rip from the Headlines. Mike, we're starting three. Three Florida stories. Jeez. Uh, (laughs) Let's start off these Rip from the Headlines with a bang, or a self-bang, if you will. Um, This story is from Miami. Here's the headline. Quote, Florida man popped for masturbating inside a Miami Beach Starbucks. (laughs) <laughs> Ew! Popped, popped. Now, I uh, I like how this story begins. The actual uh, story here. It says 
A self-proclaimed homeless male model Word. was arrested <laughs> for masturbating in front of people. Um, first off, Mike, I like how somebody literally reenacted a Dave Chappelle stand-up bit. Yes! Um, if listeners haven't seen the Chappelle special for what it's worth, go back and watch it. Literally, one of the first things he talks about is a ho homeless dude terrorizing people while off. <laughs> it's literally this story. Um, second, Mike, I know there are uh, folks that have been angry with the police in this country, you know? So true. Makes sense. I mean, they have good reason to be. Mm -hmm. But I will say it's cases like this that I do feel a little bit for them, you know? Like, calling all cars, calling all cars. We've got a situation <laughs> at Starbucks on Lincoln. There's a homeless man off in all the pumpkin spice lattes. Oh. <laughs> huh? God. All right. Turn the car around. Like, that's it's pretty horrible. That's horrible. That's, yeah, it's a horrible gig. I wouldn't want to do that. Nope. Now, now, obviously, when the police arrived, I'm guessing that's when this homeless man was like, uh, I can do this. I'm a male model. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, that's, I guess, where it had to come from in the story. <laughs> like, if you're the police, aren't you a tad curious, though, about that? Like, I feel like if I was one of these dudes, I'm already having to look at this guy anyway. So, like, I, I feel like... <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Like, what, what publication were you last featured in? Do you have, do you have a magazine by chance? Like, I just, you know. But, anyways, doesn't change the fact Why that not? you're in a Starbucks. <laughs> you know, yeah, you're uh, not, gonna, <laughs> not a lesser charge because you have a great uh, portfolio. <laughs> yeah, you know. But thanks for showing the work. That's nice. Um, anyways, Mike, let's go west. Of Miami, let's let's uh, let's go to Spring Hills. Mm. Yeah, so Spring Hills. Uh, this is classic Florida news here. Yes! Uh, Spring Hill man had purchased some methamphetamines, and uh, he became rather upset because he believed these amphetamines were not actually methamphetamines; they were bath salts. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So this Florida man did what you would expect. He contacted the police to let them know <laughs> there was a drug dealer out there selling bad amphetamines, and he didn't want another person to have the ill effects of the fake drug. Mm -hmm. Which, you gotta admit, actually, when you think about it, Mike, that's pretty admirable, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, this dude was looking out for other people, and he didn't want to see them get hurt. Nope. And you're like, well, that's that's nice. That's actually a good thing. It's risky, mm -hmm. but it's nice. Now there risky. were there were two <laughs> drawbacks, Mike. Two yeah. drawbacks. One, he had zero contact information for the drug dealer. Oh! <laughs> nothing. Not a name, not a phone number, nothing. He was like there's a dude somewhere in the general Tampa area selling yeah. this product. <laughs> Second, the officers did perform a test on the drugs. He brought them in. He was like, here they are. They yeah. tested it. It was methamphetamines. <laughs> and they were oh. like, yeah, it no, is meth. meth. 
That's, that's what you got here. I, I, I feel like those are two things you really need to come through if that's if if this is going to work for this dude, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, very important criteria you need. Uh, I mean, that's... I mean, I realize sitting around high on meth thinking about these two things is a little difficult, but if you're going to go to the cops and tell them you're you're uh, smoking fake meth and you want them to arrest the drug dealer, might want to have, you know, the drug dealer's information. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Old you know? description. I mean, if you're in the middle of robbing someone's house and you <laughs> see that that person has an illegal exotic pet, First, I would suggest that you stop robbing people's houses. Mm-hmm. Second, I would suggest you not call the cops about the illegal pets, you know, <laughs> due to the fact that you're robbing a house. It's yeah. just, yeah. It's just, very true, very true. Uh, he was arrested, Mike. Uh, mm. the, the man was arrested. So, what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, Mike, we're staying in the general vicinity uh, of Tampa. Uh, and instead of methamphetamines, uh, we're going to deal with alcohol. So, a man had just purchased a uh, six-pack of beer and was leaving a convenience store called the Plantation Pantry on Hutchinson Island Hmm. uh, when out of nowhere, a 21-year-old woman drove through the front of the convenience store in her car like a cannonball through a wall. Jeez. If the mm. listeners can watch watch this, the video is there. She rockets through the front of this convenience uh. store. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently, after being interviewed, the woman said she meant to hit the brake, but accidentally pressed the accelerator. Uh. Word. Which, again, if you have the chance, uh, listeners, go back and watch this, vi- this video. Because... If you're this bad at driving, if you accidentally press the accelerator for like five seconds, mm-hmm. maybe you should be riding the bus instead of uh, yeah. driving. Like it probably is now, or will be. Definitely, definitely <laughs> is now. Um, anywho, back to the man purchasing beer. Uh, he was walking out right when this happened, and the lady just creamed into him just whop and uh he yeah he went flying flying over the hood and then backwards right uh he was hurt pretty bad he needed to be transported to the hospital specifically mainly for glass in his face right from Uh, the front of the the front of the uh the convenience store the police though reported that the victim was talking and remained in unusually good spirits. And interestingly enough, the thing he was most concerned with was if the beer he purchased was okay. What? <laughs> Look, I know I've got a couple of glass shards sticking out of my eye, but more importantly, how's the beer? Is it going to pull through? <laughs> Are we going to be okay? Like... Mike, I feel like we need to call up the DSM alcohol use disorder group and let them know we got a new rule for you. If you get hit by a car at 30 miles per hour and you're more concerned about your beer than your legs, you may have an alcohol problem. You may, yeah. You may want to get checked in somewhere. A <laughs> little bit. A little bit. 
<laughs> Mike, uh, that's our that's our Florida headlines for today. Uh, let's move on to Pennsylvania. Ah, uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. So last Thursday night, uh, state police <laughs> pulled a woman over for an attempted, uh, well, they were attempting a traffic stop. Uh, she was driving uh, slightly erratic, and in the middle of the stop, she just sped off. She just took off. Officers followed her, but apparently because of her, quote, high rate of speed and reckless driving, the pursuit was terminated. Hmm. Like, they just gave up. Yeah. I guess they have to. Yeah. Like, and I'm like, you really just, like, like you don't have a drone or a helicopter to follow her or anything? You're just like, eh. Not Which, yet. I mean, I... I guess I guess is fairly understandable if you have her license plate and like her car, you'll you'll get there, you'll yeah. get there eventually, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Which I also got to jump in and say real quick, they had a picture of her car, and it was a Honda Civic. Hmm. Which I've got to say, I've had a Honda Civic. There are no capabilities of having a high rate of speed in that car. Um, so. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what they were talking about when they said high rate of speed. That no, I don't know, Doc G. Civics can get it. I mean, they they're pretty fast. Some of them, right? I don't know. You gotta you gotta tweak them. You know, you gotta get yeah. in there with your your garage aftermarket yeah. mods on there if you really want to get after it. If true, you're not true. doing that, you got like a hundred horsepower weed eater motor going in there. It's not gonna. <laughs> Not really going to do much, but the okay. police are looking out for this lady, and they say she's wanted for several things, Mike. Uh, I've got the list. Uh, driving with a blood alcohol level of greater than .02 while the license is suspended. Mm-hmm. Um, reckless driving. 25 counts of duties at a stop sign. Just for the listeners wanting out there, that's duty spelled D-U-T-Y. Um, just <laughs> 25 counts of duties. Um, two <laughs> counts of turning movements and required signals. And then failure to use a safety belt. And then lastly, careless driving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, in, in case you stop listening, listeners, that was one count of reckless driving and one count of careless driving. Yeah. Word. I'm no expert of the law, Mike, in Pennsylvania, but what the, f- the difference of careless driving and reckless driving? All right, Doc G, I think I have an answer here. Oh, wow. Wow. So they want to stack up the charges. So in case she was like... Okay, I was recklessly driving, but I wasn't carelessly driving. And my lawyer will back me up on that. That will reduce my sentence. Mm. To at least, I don't know. I don't know I, what you get. It's a possibility, Mike. It's a possibility. I don't know. Now, now, now <laughs> I, I challenge the listeners, though, right now to go to Google and Google careless. <laughs> careless synonym. And you'll see a list of synonyms is reckless. One of the first yeah. ones, reckless. I don't know. Seems like, you know, it, it seems like that seems very similar to if a cop pulled you over and was like, I'm charging you for speeding. Oh, and driving too fast. Wait, what? <laughs> Wait, what? What's the difference here? You know, anyway. Hmm. 
Well, all right. I see I'll, that. I'll I'll follow <laughs> I'll I'll follow up on this story. We'll see if they uh, if they if they catch her, Mike. Uh, I'm guessing they will at some point. Mike, uh, before we go to break, real quick, uh, story from Tennessee. Sad story from Tennessee. Uh, mm. <laughs> I don't know if you could title this a, a classic Tennessee headline, but this is literally the headline, Mike. Two dead after camel attack in West yeah. Tennessee. Huh? A camel attack, listeners. Camel attack. This is Memphis, Tennessee, not Memphis, Egypt. This yeah. <laughs> is Memphis, Tennessee, and it's a camel attack. Yeah. Doesn't like, make any sense. <laughs> it, it, I would be so off if I was one of these dudes, like, dying from this. I'd be like, are you serious? Yeah. An camel. effing camel? Right? Yeah. Like, and and just just think of the relatives of these people. For the rest of the, their lives, they're going to have to tell people that story with a straight face. A camel. Like Uncle <laughs> Jeff? Oh, yeah. Camel. What? Yeah. Camels. Like, yeah. you go to the zoo, people are like, oh, let's go, let's go to the African exhibit. And they're like, we're not going near those camels. And they're like, why not? No. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Not, not, ar not around Aunt Sally. Don't bring it up. Don't be like, <laughs> just horrible, Mike horrible yeah. mike we're gonna take a break we're gonna hear from our guests this is none other than pete muller this is his fantastic cover of the way right here on the dot g show they left before the sun came up that day Exit to eternal summer slacking But where were they going without ever knowing the way They drank up the wine They got to talk 
could see the road that they walk on is paved in gold. It's always summer, they'll never get cold. They'll never get hungry, they'll never get old and gray. You could see the shadows wandering off somewhere. They won't make it home, but they really don't care. Here on the Doc A G A Show, Spinnaker Radio, WSKRLP 95.5 FM in Jacksonville, Florida. Say what? Listeners, if you haven't done it yet, need to subscribe to the podcast. Mm-hmm. You know who has subscribed to the podcast? Tom Brady. Tom Brady. I mean, I can't <laughs> confirm that 100%, but... <laughs> You heard the email, listeners. So true. You know yeah. how much he supports and loves this show. He, mm-hmm. I mean, how could he not, right, Mike? Yeah. I mean, Exclamation points. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. Exclamation points. So's uh, uh, supporting the show. Just uh, a myriad <laughs> of ways that he supports the show, Mike. Exactly. Uh, on top of that, Mike subscribes to the show. I definitely do. And he's on the show. And he still mm-hmm. does it. I, I don't yeah. know if that's hmm. more motivation or less motivation. Mean, whatever it is, he subscribes to the show. So just, yeah. just subscribe. Just subscribe, guys. Um, Mike, <laughs> we need to thank the listeners that do listen. Of course, we need to give a shout-out to the regulars. Regs, yep. Here we go. Shout-out. Shout-out to Jacksonville, Florida, Columbia, South Carolina, Gainesville, Florida, Radford, Virginia, Ashburn, Virginia, Piracai, Brazil, Anoka, Minnesota, Dublin, Ireland, Peoria, Illinois, Barcelona, Spain, Richardson, Texas, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Moscow, Russia, Katy, Texas, Genoa, Italy, San Diego, California, Frankfurt, Germany, Boardman, Oregon, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Winfield, West Virginia, and Tom's River, New Jersey. Shout-out. There it is. Tom's River. There it is, Tom's River. They're they're on the board, man. And uh, you know, uh, Pete that we're going to be talking to in a couple minutes. He's originally from uh, New Jersey. He's a New Jersey nice. man. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So maybe maybe we'll get a couple more New Jersey locations. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll get his now current hometown, California, Santa Barbara. You know, maybe that. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Anyways. Semi-regulars. Here we go. Shout out. Shout out to Mountain View, California, Bern, Switzerland, St. Louis, Missouri, Frederick, Maryland, Water Valley, Mississippi, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Uxbridge, Massachusetts, Janesville, Wisconsin, Cusco, Peru, El Paso, Texas, Seattle, Washington, Portland, Oregon, Athens, Georgia, and New York, New York. Shout out. There we go. Yeah. New, York. New York, you know, getting it. Yeah, we had actually we had a couple of boroughs represented. Um, you know, we had the Bronx, we had Queens. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So we we had a couple of just uh, not all five boroughs, but a good number. Good yeah, number, you know. Yeah, for sure. Shout, shout out to New York. It's a shout fun out. place, Mike. Every time it I've is. been, I've been uh, yeah. I've been 
There, I, I don't know if I could be like you and actually live there for any extended period of time, but uh, yeah, it's nice. It's nice. That's a fun place. How mm-hmm. does it compare to, to Las Vegas? Hmm. Um, doesn't really compare that. Doesn't not really at compare. all. It's like, yeah, not. I mean, you know, it's kind of like a theme park here, but it's more like a cruise ship in mm-hmm. Vegas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in New York, you're really living inside of like Disney World. For, for for life in in the world. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but yeah. it it's super it's super busy. Every time yeah. I just I that's one of those things about New York. Like I mean I'm sure you build up a tolerance to it, but every time I'm there I just like I get almost ant you know, I get I get anxious like just being I'm just like, ow so many people. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. we're going everywhere. <laughs> oh they're like, fast. They're fast there. Yeah people I'm very, in New York are fast. I'm They're very fast. slow. Yes! I'm very yeah. slow. I do yes! not mm-hmm. keep up with anybody. Nope. I am a slow yeah. walker. People are brushing by me, knocking shoulders yeah. with me. <laughs> I'm falling over into corners like, ah, I can't do it. You know, it's not, it's too fast for me, Mike. Yeah. I, I work better in a slow city, you know. Same. Every now Same. and then Miami gets a little fast. You know, when I was living yeah, in Miami, it, it uh, just, I think so many Northeastern transplants in Miami that you, you get some of that mentality. You get yeah. some of those old timer New Yorkers down there and they're like, get out of my way. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Intense. It, uh, yeah, it's, it's a different world down there. It's a different world. Love Miami. Yeah. Love, love everything about it. It's a, uh, it's a very unique place. Uh, very different from Jacksonville. Um, mm-hmm. You know, two end, two ends of the corridor of ninety five. I, I got yeah. the book. I got the bookends of ninety five. And you know what? So true. I enjoy them both. Mm-hmm. I like them yeah. both. You know. Uh, yeah, for sure. Mike, I got, I got an interesting thing I need to bring up here. Um, I need to bring up something from a past show. Okay. Uh, and this isn't really a follow-up. This was something I noticed the other day. And um, you, you, you're familiar. We we deliver all the most exciting content in the history of podcasts <laughs> on the show. Yeah, for sure. And uh, But occasionally while I'm driving long distances, I'll listen to other podcasts. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, mainly because I'd have to be clinically insane, I feel like, to listen to my own podcast driving down the road. <laughs> you know, I mean, because don't, don't get me wrong, listeners, I do listen to the uh, our podcast, but it's like to take notes. Like, oh, that was dumb. Yeah. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> oh, that was stupid. Um, and mainly, it's just a three-page list of that was dumb, stupid. <laughs> nope, no. And I'm like, well, if I don't say anything, it's just gonna be silent for an hour and a half. This is gonna be bad. Um. <laughs> But usually when I'm going on long trips, I like to listen to Jalen and Jacoby. I've told you, Mike. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's one yeah. of my it's a, it's a nice podcast to step to, as they like to say. Yes! Uh, and every now and then, if I'm feeling really sportsy, if I'm getting in my real uh, sports mindset, and I just want to talk about some college and professional sports, you know, okay, I'll go to Ryan Russillo's podcast. Hmm. You ever heard of Ryan? Mm-mm. Ryan had he had a show back in the day on ESPN uh, about four years ago with Danny Cannell. It was called Russillo and Cannell. Okay. Makes sense, you know. Yes! I, I liked it. It was a nice show. It was in the middle of the day when I worked in a gym. It was on, you know. Yeah. And it was sort of like that that uh, friend 
that you'd look up at the at the TV and be like, ah, Priscilla and Canel, they're on, those guys, you know? Yeah. Sort of one of those. <laughs> so every okay. now and then, I like to go back and I listen to uh, the Priscilla podcast. And last weekend, I did that. I had a long trip and I was like, you know what? All right, uh, I'll, I'll listen for a little bit. And I heard something that made me say, wait a second. I'm pretty positive I said almost the exact same thing on a show. So true. You know? It's on wax. It's recorded. Let's go back yeah. and listen to this. And I went back and I found it. I found it. It's a groundbreaking hot take, you know? Okay. Um. Well, I don't know. It depends on who and what you're interested in. Let's let the listeners decide, Mike. Okay. I'm going to give you both both uh, readouts of our show and the Rosillo show. Okay. okay. So now I found it, and it actually didn't take me too long to find. It was on the November 4th show, 2020. All around great show. So true. We had the uh, Magic City Hippies on. That was their first show. It was fantastic. Mm. Um now, keep in mind, we're talking over a year and a half ago was when this happened. Uh, I said, quote, can we all agree that Jake from State Farm needs to stop getting so muscular? <laughs> I don't know what's going on. It looks like he's prepping for a bodybuilding contest. He's playing cornhole with Patrick Mahomes, and he's way more ripped than Patrick Mahomes. So true. What's going on here? I don't want to be biased, but I don't know if I can buy insurance from that guy. He's too in shape. <laughs> that was my take, Mike. That was my take. Now, let's see what Ryan and his producer, Saruti said on his show. And I quote, I saw a video on Instagram the other day from Jake from State Farm. He's just Jake from State Farm now, and that's what he's going to be for the rest of his life. He can't act in anything else because he's always going to be Jake from State Farm. I'll say this, and it's dangerous to say because State Farm's a sponsor, but is Jake from State Farm too jacked? Hmm. People are asking. He might be a little too jacked. I'm not afraid of a small shirt, but I'm not sure that's what I want out of an insurance guy. I mean, <laughs> wait, are you looking at my policy, or are you just going to do buys and tries all day? End quote. Wow. Spot on. So true. I mean, Mike, I'm just saying, it's pretty obvious. I came up with this hot take about insurance commercials a year and a half earlier. Yeah. Way ahead of the game. Way <sighs> ahead of this. So, I mean, yeah. it's clear. It's clear, listeners, if you're looking for hot takes on insurance ad commercials <laughs> and you're listening to Ryan Russillo podcast, you're wasting your time. Yeah. You're getting you're <laughs> you're getting you're getting the late spin on it, guys. That's a fact. You come to the Doc G show for those takes. You will yeah. hear them early and often. Yeah, years early. All all insurance commercials. Flow takes, Dr. Rick takes, you'll get them all. You'll get mm. all insurance commercial quotes, all right? <laughs> Anyways, Mike, now that we've cleared that up, now that we've got that out. Are you in good out, hands? Exactly. It, it, you are on the Doc G Show. You are. Uh, we are going to take a break, Mike, and we are going to be back with none other than Pete Muller right here on the Doc G Show.
Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today we are super happy to welcome a fantastic musician and a jack of all trades. His new album, Spaces, is coming out May 20th. Mr. Pete Muller. Pete, how are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm great, Doc. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, how's uh, how's California? I hear you you were talking before we came on the air. It's it's blooming, apparently. It, it, it is. It's, uh, it's 72 degrees in Santa Barbara and sunny, and, you know, I, ca I can't complain. It's nice. Imperative. Nice. Now, yeah, so you're a little bit, you're a little bit north. I know you have the song, San Diego, but you're, you're a little bit north there of L.A., huh? That's right. We're about a, an hour and a half north. Nice. And, no, that's uh, some beautiful driving right there. Me and my brother, we did uh, several years ago, you know, we went from San Francisco down to down to San Diego and just uh, did the whole Highway 1 and, I mean, all the places, Monterey Bay and, and Big Sur and, and South Redwoods and Morro Bay, just really, really beautiful places there. I, I, I agree. You know, I, I actually, a long time ago, I biked that, that whole route. Wow. Which was really fun. And, uh, you know, I couldn't stop uh, from staring out at the ocean. I'm a surfer, too, so I, I love surfing out there, and there's so many great breaks along the way. Yeah, how many miles is that? So I actually, what we did was San Fran to L.A. We stopped in L.A. We didn't get down to San Diego. Gotcha. And I guess it's about 450 miles. Nice. We and we did it as a while ago. We did it in five days with a, kind of like a, a little bit of a backpack and you know and a credit card. So we we stayed in cheap hotels on the way. Very nice. It was, it was really fun. I still remember it because right outside of Malibu, I was uh, taking a drink from my water bottle. And I was on some gravel with one hand, mm -hmm. and my bike slid, mm. and I crashed, and I just mangled it. Mm. <laughs> so I technically didn't make it all the way to the airport, which was 10 miles away. Oh, God. That's, <laughs> that's a bad ending right there. Um, exactly, yeah. What, I mean, you, see, you, you just mentioned biking and, and surfing. You seem like an outdoors fan. Uh, do, you have, do you have a favorite national park or forest or just nature spot in california so hard to pick i'd, I'd probably uh, i'd probably choose yosemite yosemite is mm. amazing but but santa barbara itself is awesome we've got these great trails here and we've got you know the ocean is gorgeous and beautiful that's why i love living out here but there's so many beautiful spots all around the country for sure you know driving across you get the glacier i mean florida's got a lot of wonderful spots it does it's, it's uh it's definitely got its high points and and we're matching temps with you today right now we're at 72 too so you know i i got you i think Flor florida's got to be really great now now july or august i might not be heading out there myself oh yeah the rest no. of the year <laughs> no sure. i've got i got a lot of california friends that come out in summer and go what what is going on here it's it's a humid hole and i'm like yeah that's <laughs> normally what happens in summer it's like 95 with 95 percent humidity that's what we do it's like a wet blanket thrown on you at all times now you didn't you didn't grow up in california though you're a jersey man uh your dad was a chemical engineer your mom was a psychiatrist doesn't exactly scream a house that was filled with music uh, well, well so, so first of all, I haven't grown up yet. <laughs> I was raised in New Jersey, but uh, like like many of your listeners, I, I suppose, I haven't actually grown up. I, I don't actually intend to. Good, um, good. Neither do um, I. I'm com I'm uh, in complete agreement with that. <laughs> my, my mom was actually, uh, she was a, uh, a small town doctor in Brazil. Okay. And, and uh, when you come from a foreign country, 
to the U.S., you have to get recertified. Mm. And I mean, she was doing all, you know, she was the doctor in this town. Her dad was a town doctor. He had a heart attack. She took over. She was one of the first women to go to medical school in Brazil. Mm -hmm. When she came to the States, she ended up transitioning to psychiatry because that was the easiest residency. Gotcha. And and my father was a foreigner too. Uh, he was uh, he was Austrian, mm -hmm. kind of uh, escaped from the war and made it over to the states. And yeah, he was a chemical chemical engineer. He was a, he was a big opera fan, and it's kind of funny. I like all sorts of music, but but really not opera. <laughs> I, I, it's, I don't know if it's a coincidence or not. Yeah. So so what what did music play? What role did it play in in your family? Like were your parents huge music fans? Did you hear it a lot growing up or no? Not at all. No. I mean, I eventually I found it for me because I, I found it was the best way for me to get in touch with the emotions I had inside. Mm -hmm. But it was it was really a lucky accident. Uh, I, I took classical piano lessons. So I was trained for five years. Got to the point where I was pretty good, but I, I was bored to tears. <laughs> Wasn't inspired by my teacher, and I just said, you know what, I, I'm done, I quit. Mm. And I ran into a friend, who I'm actually still in touch with. We went to a great concert the other night, and he said he was studying with a jazz teacher in Denville, New Jersey, which was 30 minutes away, mm -hmm. and that it was really fun. And I said, yeah, what the heck? And uh, it was a guy, a guy named John Amadeo, who was a studio musician who, um, who, who taught people to make some some money and yeah. he, had a, he had a very attractive wife so when my dad took me out there he got to hang out and chat with john's wife for <laughs> a half an hour he did not mind driving me over to denville so and then i i learned uh, he taught me how to improvise which for me is that that's the doorway once you yeah. learn how to improvise you can kind of get the music that's in you out mm -hmm. you can write and all of a sudden I, I loved playing music and that was the transition for me and it was really a year and a half and I was a teenager who didn't practice much, but he didn't care. He turned me on to jazz and jamming, and you know, if I hadn't practiced all week, he was like, "Sit down at the piano. I'll sit down on the drums, and we'll have some fun." Nice. You know, it's funny. I, I, you know, once I got serious about music, I tried to track him down, and I couldn't find him. I don't know what happened to him, but I haven't been able to find. You know, him. he's one of those people you know, that just changed my life. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, I obviously, like I mentioned, it was you were in New Jersey. It's in the, in the '70s and '80s. Yeah, I, I got to ask about Springsteen. I mean, Born to Run came out when you were in middle schoolish. The uh, the River yeah. comes out when you're in high school. Born to uh, Born in the USA comes out in college. Were you a, Were you a Springsteen fan? I mean, love Springsteen. How do How do you not love Springsteen? I mean, his lyrics are pure. I mean, I you go back to. I mean, you know. Before Born to Run, those first two albums, right? Mm -hmm. Greetings from Asbury Park and The Wild, The Innocent, and The East Street Shuffle. All those lyrics on songs like I Came For You, I mean, just mind-blowing. Those are actually, those are my favorite Springsteen tunes. I, I do love The River. I do love a number of tunes on, 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 on Born to Run. I mean, that, that's such an incredible album. But, but I go back to those first two more, and, and I, I just love how he has continued to evolve. His spirit has, he, he's one of my top, top people that i love so well uh, i love that you mentioned him yeah you you covered i'm on fire on the sound there on the ep oh yeah that's right with the uh with the kindred souls mm -hmm. so we did, we did this uh this cover record and uh you know that was one of the ones uh that we we thought would work so i i, I, I love that too i was about to that say was a little later yeah people people love People love uh, I'm on Fire. Uh, it's been covered a bunch. We actually have had, I think we've had two artists on this show that have covered it before. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's it's one of those tunes. I think it's, I, I feel like, I mean, 
it's it's the undercover on uh, Born in the USA because obviously Born in the USA sort of takes top billing, but uh, you know, uh, Born in the USA always gets me because it's like you said, it, it Born in the USA is such good lyrics. And people overlook the lyrics, and they're never... Well, most people never think about the actual lyrics of what Born in the USA is saying. And I'm like, look at what he's saying. Look at what actually is being said in the song. For sure. For sure. You know, it's that one's been played so much. I'll go back to I'm on Fire, because that one, if you read him talk about it, that one just came out of him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when your, your best songs, you know, you sit down, at, for me, you sit down at the piano, and half an hour later, oh, my God, how did this happen? It just came through me. And, mm-hmm. and that's how he describes that song. Yeah. You know, and it's really weird because the structure is so bizarre and it's kind of short and, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's not, it doesn't have an even thing, but when you play it, it's just like, yeah, it has to be that. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard that a lot from a lot of artists as far as that, uh, that process of just, whoop, oh, it came out. Oh, this is this is this is the song. Like uh, you know, I I wish I wish I had that capability. I haven't had that happen yet, but maybe maybe at some point, maybe sometime later in life, we'll see. We'll see. You, you, you give it you give it time. You just have to give yourself the space and do a lot of journaling, do a lot of thinking, and then keep trying, and it does come. Well, and now you found that passion in uh, improvising, in playing the piano when you you went to college. I mean, and, and you'd already had that background of being, you know, really good at classical piano. Did you ever think about actually, like, pursuing it as just a career initially from the get-go? Yeah, you know, when I was in college, I had a, I had a friend, and, I, you know, I hadn't been... I was, I was playing a lot of jazz-type stuff. I wasn't singing, and I wasn't writing songs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was doing some composing, and I had a friend who was a gymnast senior year who said you know you play piano i love how you play and she was a, she was a rhythmic gymnast you mm-hmm. know with the balls and the ribbons and the clubs and all that so she was trying out for the u.s olympic team and uh, she said you know i i'm looking for a piece of music it's a minute and a half and you know i don't want to get bored with it uh you know so you want to you want to try writing a piece for me and i was like sure and i came up with this piece it's called happy fruit i have to track it down i, I just remembered you know, It, it, was, it started something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I gave it to her, and she listened to it, and she was like, okay, yeah, I guess I can try it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, I put my heart into this. Okay. She came back a week later, and she said, oh, my God, I've never not gotten sick of a piece before. You have to come accompany me while I try out for the Olympics. Wow. So I, I, so I went to uh, Atlanta at mm-hmm. the, uh, I guess it was called the, it was called something else back then, but it was the Olympic tryouts. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of cool because it, back then you were only allowed one instrument and the team had a pianist. And if she actually was first in the country, which was a long shot, um, I would have been the Olympic pianist. Mm. Um, so she uh, she ended up coming fourth. Oh, how could she do that to you? Come on. Uh, uh, no, nah, but, but I met a coach, a California coach, who said, hey, if you're ever in California, uh, come uh, play some music for my girls. And I thought, sure, why not? Yeah. Uh, so when I got out of school, I mean, I had done some programming jobs and things like that, but I wasn't excited about that. So I drove across the country and showed up and I said, hey, remember me? And, and she said, oh, yeah. I said, you know, you, you need some music for your girls. And uh, she said, uh, I said, yeah, um, I'll do it. And she said, well, where are you staying? And I, I said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, you know, I was, I, as I said, I haven't grown up yet, but uh, I, I really hadn't grown up yet. <laughs> and uh, so I ended up staying with her and it was kind of fun, but I realized I needed to make a living and I needed to get my own place. But I, I decided that, uh, you know, music was going to be a passion for me, not the way that I make my living. And even now, which I, and I've gotten really serious about it and putting out my fifth record yeah. uh, next couple months and, uh, you know, already re- writing songs for the sixth one. So it's serious. And we toured around. We probably played 50 dates in 2018, 19. You know, I didn't have the I started later, so I didn't have the, you know, the pros and cons. I didn't have the pressure of having to make a living from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I pursue it really, really seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned college. Uh, and you decided to go to a uh, school, a little school down the road from your hometown. Uh, listeners may have heard of it, Princeton. A little, <laughs> a little institution there. Uh, I'm pretty sure if I would have applied to uh, Princeton, they would have responded, this wasn't our, worth our time looking at your application. But, you know, nope. it's a it's a very uh, prestigious school. Uh, were you were you intimidated when you went to that school? I mean, obviously, it's a. Uh, I mean, you know, it's got a lot of history. It's an Ivy Leaguer. You know, it's it's funny. I um, I if, if there was something that was intimidating, you know, there were a lot of people that came from wealthy families there mm. that came from privileged lives. I went to a public high school, and you know, they they the only the only thing that I thought that that was just. I loved being there. It was great. I had a great experience. I should say that. Yeah. But you know, there, there was a there was also a bit of a sense of entitlement of people that, you know, had 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 very privileged lives. Um, oh yeah. And it took me a while to you know to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up, uh, you know, doing a lot of math there, uh, playing a bunch of music. I had a band. I was on the uh, I was on the ultimate frisbee team. Yeah. Which was uh, that that was my thing in college, and it was really really fun. We had a great time. We actually made it to college nationals my senior year. Nice. You know, I, I picked a, a developing sport as opposed to... I, I, I was about to say, I mean, ba- back then, I mean, I, f- I feel like it's definitely grown a lot, Ultimate Frisbee, since uh, since the 80s. Uh, that's, uh, it's, 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 it's came a long way, but it's, it's, it is a super fun sport, that's for sure. You know, it, it was, uh, it was invented in New Jersey. Hmm. I actually, I actually played in high school. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's it's a wonderful sport because it has this concept of the spirit of the game. You know, the uh, the players make the calls, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and you don't have umpires or refs. Mm-hmm. And you trust each other, and, and you know, at the national level, eventually now they have observers and yeah, refs. Eventually, human nature is such that you know, if you're trying really really hard to win, it's it's hard to get do a little bias. Them. Yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah. it seeps in. It's. I mean, it's 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 super fun. I mean, it's high pay. Essentially, to me, it's like high paced football. I mean, you know, because it, it it's sort of the same idea, but it never stops. It's just this continuous. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's a little, you know, it's more well, maybe a little more like soccer because you don't have the tackling and the contact. That's true. So you don't have to worry about you know head injuries and things like that, for the most part. But the scoring, scoring, still a little bit more like football. You have, I mean, you know, because because you, because you're going you're going end zone instead of instead of goal. So exactly, yeah. It's uh well now on the topic of Princeton though. One thing I just this is a weird. I was you know looking up Pete Muller facts and I was uh, you were in a, in uh, the Colonial Club and I was like, what's the Colonial Club? And then it was like it's an eating club and I was like, what what's an eating club? And I didn't realize, like, I thought it was some kind of, like, semi-fraternity, but then I realized they were actually made 
for eating because Princeton didn't originally have a dining hall just for the students when it was when it was originally created. And so they went Actually, to- yeah, you're not far off from it. It is kind of a semi-fraternity. Yeah. People do live there. You have parties there and all that, but you also eat there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how was the food? Was it actually good? It was, was pretty good. I okay. mean, it was a long time ago. I, it was pretty good. Pretty good. Okay. Well, now, I, I, on the topic of food, because I often bring it up on the show, I noticed I've got, I got to ask you. I saw I was cruising your Instagram, and I came across a post this past November on Thanksgiving where you said Thanksgiving, favorite meal of the year. Hmm. I, I, I'm. <laughs> I'm sorry, Pete. I'm going to have to ask. Give me your reasoning. Because, like, to me, if I had a giant Italian feast in front of me or Thanksgiving dinner, I'm going Italian feast every time. Why is Thanksgiving that favorite for you? You know, it, there, there's something about a freshly roasted turkey that yeah? just makes me so incredibly happy. Wow. And you combine that with sweet potatoes mm-hmm. and cranberries and mm-hmm. all the vegetables. There, mm-hmm. there, there's, you know, to me, and the mushrooms and, like, all the different dishes and the stuffing. Mm-hmm. To me, that, that that's just everything. And then I love pumpkin pie. Who doesn't love pumpkin pie with some whipped cream on it? Right? So it's the whole experience. Plus, plus with Thanksgiving, you've got everybody around and you got the – the spirit and the sharing, and so you know that, that that's that's why I posted that. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll tell you a funny story. You know, my my mom, who has since passed, mm-hmm. she had this thing where for your birthday every year, you could have whatever you wanted, mm-hmm. and she would make it. She was a great cook, and you know, for a couple of years, I guess in hindsight, I was a bit of a jerk, but I'll tell a story. I was like, "Mom, can we do Thanksgiving for my birthday too?" All right. <laughs> so we had two Thanksgivings a couple of years in a row, and then I realized, okay, wait, that that's that's a little too much. It's a lot. Of, it's but, a, it's a lot of work, but I mean, hey, it is your birthday, so you know. It was and, indeed. And your mom was nice enough to comply, so you know. Yeah. It uh, <laughs> now I I sort of do the opposite. Like I said, I would be like. Can we not have Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving? Can we do the Thanksgiving thing, except we just... I love Italian, so I just want a giant pile of Italian food. All the camaraderie, all the... Like you said, that stuff's great, but I'm just going to put in a whole bunch of Italian dishes in there, you know? I, I, I wouldn't turn it down. So. <laughs> well, you, you graduated from Princeton with a degree in mathematics, uh, and you mentioned, so you, you went out to California to, to try the piano deal. You realized, you know what, I'm not not getting money from this. I'm going to need a, a career. And you said you tried some, like, programming things. Where along the line did you realize, you know what, math could be used for finance? I could I could get into sort of the financial game with math. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the story. So I'm, I'm in California. I realized that uh, I need to earn some money and I'm not going to uh, make enough playing for a rhythmic gymnastics team a couple hours a day. So I looked for a programming job. I had already had an offer. I'd, I'd worked a couple summers for a German software company called Nixdorf. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had offered me a job in New York City. Mm-hmm. And it, w- it was for a bunch of money and I, I just didn't want to do it. But I knew how to program, so I, 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 I looked around, and I applied to a few companies. I, I applied to IBM. They turned me down. Mm. Um, and then there was a small financial consulting firm run by a Zen Buddhist, a guy named Bar Rosenberg, who was a professor at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And he had started this firm that was consulting to investors using econometrics, which is you know applied mathematics statistics. 
to, to help investors understand the risks they were taking. And they were looking for a programmer. And I saw it and I thought, I mean, I had no interest in finance at all. I, 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 my girlfriend in college had gotten a, a summer job at the Wall Street Journal and I'd made fun of her for selling out. So, um, but I thought, what the heck? And I met the people and they were wonderful. Yeah. And I, the problems they were trying to solve were actually really, really interesting to me. Uh, it was deep into mathematics, and I just, I just took to it, and uh, it worked. Mm -hmm. uh, so I ended up being there six or seven years. Um, uh, found a couple great mentors, and and I, you know, I, I was giving talks at their conferences. I'm, I'm pretty good at explaining things. I could have been a professor, like I understand you are mm -hmm. in a different life, or a, you know, a therapist. But <laughs> so I, 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 you know, I ended up writing papers, giving talks at conferences. And then I got this idea that we were we were spending all this time analyzing what other people were doing. Maybe we should be able to do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. I couldn't convince the firm I was with that we should do it. I had a couple buddies. We had learned how to play poker really competitively in California. It's legal mm -hmm. to play poker. There were these card clubs. You know, I, I could have had another life as a professional <laughs> poker player. I've actually, uh, I was I was on TV for the World Poker Tour. I came in fourth once. I heard and, that. Uh, you know, I'd, so I, I, you know. I, I love poker, but it uh, ultimately it wasn't what I wanted to pursue. Um, but I, I tried to combine that with our analysis and convince the firm to start a you know something that would actually use those techniques to play in the markets. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't go for it, but eventually this bank in New York, uh, Morgan Stanley, said, "Sure, we'll give it a shot. Why not?" Uh, because they they actually wanted me to go around and talk to people and write papers, and I thought, "I'm I'm done with that. I actually <laughs> want to see if I can actually do this thing." Because it works, yeah. Yeah, and so I realized that it was way harder than I thought. <laughs> I mean, it was it was. <laughs> I mean, I knew things that they didn't know, but oh my gosh, I didn't understand how trading worked. But I'm I'm pretty competitive, and when I put my mind to something, I I tend to figure it out or at least try my hardest. And, mm -hmm. I, and I did, and I found some really cool people to collaborate with. And within, I don't know, a few years, we had figured out how to consistently take some money out of the market, uh, you know, and, and, uh, in, in, a, um, in a pretty low-risk way. Yeah. Uh, all the, and I got to build my own culture. So I created my own group, and uh, we, we dressed casually, you know, we were on our own floor. We, you know, as long as we made money, they let us do what we wanted. <laughs> we didn't have customers. Uh, they, 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 they really deeply trusted us, and it worked well. Um, the only negative was eventually, you know, we it just took off because we kept. We were really, knock on wood, we were good and we worked really hard, and we were actually at the right place at the right time. And within six or seven years, I made more money than I ever dreamed of or thought I wanted. But I wasn't happy. Mm -hmm. I had a, an apartment in New York. I had a grand piano, and you know, I'd sit down at night and play it a little bit. But I, I just wasn't. There was something missing. Mm -hmm. And then instead of getting in touch with that and figuring it out, I kind of ignored it, and my life blew up. Mm -hmm. I, I was in a relationship, and that blew up. And the person I had started my my group with, who was a woman named Kim Elsesser, mm -hmm. who is now a uh, in, in Los Angeles and uh, teaches at UCLA on gender studies. But but she said, you know what, I'm done. I'm moving to LA and uh, I'm going to be by the beach. And all of a sudden I thought, I'm not having any fun. Yeah. Uh, I know this was a real big fun thing and a puzzle that I tried to figure out, but I figured it out. Yeah. So I took a sabbatical and the way I processed the relationship and the change in my life was to start writing songs. Mm-hmm. And so I started writing songs, and uh, at first, you know, they were kind of the typical, you know, um, you know, there are people like Lord who start writing songs when they're young and they just come out brilliant. Mm -hmm. You know, mine, mine were kind of 
typical singer songwriter mm-hmm. you know initial efforts oh my god you know this is this has never happened to anybody before my heart's been broken kind of thing. yeah mm-hmm. um but i i realized i loved doing it and i loved the fact that i could take the emotion out of me and, and and express it in a way that started touching other people and so i decided you know what i can't do this wall street thing full-time anymore and i yeah. I, I i cut a deal where i was going to Make sure the group was okay and phase out over five or six years. And I applied to uh, grad school at uh, Tisch. Mm-hmm. I, I really wanted to go to the Berkeley School of Music, but mm-hmm. it was in Boston and I, I was in New York. So I applied to Tisch uh, in musical theater. Mm-hmm. I went for six weeks and actually had a great experience, uh, but I decided I didn't love musical theater. But mm-hmm. I learned how to, 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 in songwriter circles, kind of critique other people and share things with them and... Um, and create that energy, and I use that to to help build a songwriter circle. You know that some friends had started in New York, and I took it over. And for five years, we would meet every week, and I would cook people a, a bunch of pasta. You would have enjoyed nice. it. <laughs> nice, you know, like a huge bowl of pasta with vegetables and either chicken or beef and a big salad. And people would bring a bottle of wine. Yeah, and you had to write a new song every week. And over that process, I really grew and. Uh, you know, I did my first, I created my first two albums, and I was thinking, wow, this is going to be my path, doing yeah. music. Nice. And uh, and that's actually when I met the woman that became my wife. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember playing her a whole bunch of songs when we met. And she was like, this is cool. <laughs> but she actually also was attracted to the fact that I, uh, you know, I, I'd run a pretty successful hedge fund. <laughs> so somehow we... Uh, we ended up getting pregnant, getting married, uh, and deciding to move to California. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, you know, I think you're kind of missing, you know, running that group. And it was at the end of the phase of that deal that I'd cut. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll go back and, you know, keep my connection. Why not? You know, it's intellectual stimulation. It's a good balance to the music. Well, uh, it it turned out to involve me far more than I thought. (laughs) I ended up going back and uh, running the group. And then there was that crazy financial crisis and Mm -hmm. shepherding the group through that. You know, knock on wood, we did very well. But eventually, Morgan Stanley said, we can't have this group here. We need to spin you out. And so after quite a few years, we negotiated and figured out how to do it. And I took the whole group and we became independent. That was 2012. Took us a couple years to get stable, but it, it it worked. And then I said, you know what? I am if I'm going back, I'm still doing music. And so when I went back, this was 2007 or eight. I had a weekly gig in New York City at a place in the village called Cafe Vivaldi. It was a little tiny cafe, maybe 50 people. It was a fireplace, had a grand piano, and every week I'd go and I'd have my musician buddies with me. We'd play. It was really, really, really fun. And and that was keeping my pulse on the music. But I didn't. I wasn't writing, mm-hmm. right? I wasn't. I wasn't growing. I was just, you know, steady stating it. But at least I was staying sane because I had my outlet. So, fast forward to 2014, and I'm like, you know, I had all these songs. I was ready for a third album. I was ready to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm now. I've got. A, I've got a couple kids. You know, the, the firm has spun out. I'm gonna get back into this. And that was kind of the. That was album three in 2014. I called it Two Truths and a Lie. And then I just kept on getting into it more and more. And uh, as I got more serious, my wife said, you know, if you're really serious about this, you should go out and play in front of strangers. And, and I thought, you know, okay. Yeah. So in uh, 2000, I guess it was 18 or 19, I think 2019, we signed up for a couple tours with the band to open for people and tour around the country and play for people that had never heard of us. Mm-hmm. And it turned out they liked us. <laughs> so I thought, oh, I should do this more. 
Uh, so then that, you know, fourth album was Dissolve, and then we're just coming out with the fifth one, which is Spaces, plus we've got the cover record that I did with the with the Souls. So yeah. it's a lot of music, and I, I find that I love the writing and the playing. I haven't given up running the firm. I'm mentoring and helping people, and, uh, you know. Yeah. I get you're a very not Gordon Gecko type at PDT. Nope. <laughs> I don't. I don't see that type of mentorship coming out of you. I'm guessing it's a. It's a little bit more uh, laid back than that. You know, it, it's really funny. It's um, for people to do the best that they can do. Mm. Almost everyone I know needs to be pushed somehow. Mm. Right? Yeah. You know, just challenged. But you also need love. You need support. You need somebody that is rooting for you and is not pushing you simply to exploit you or use you, but to help you grow and be the best person you can be. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, when you have kids, you kind of you have to do a little bit of that too. I don't. Do, do you have kids? Do not. But yes, oh. I, I know what you're saying. I, it, it, I feel the same with students. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's students. Exactly. You're you're pushing and giving them love, and that's really the approach that I, I take. And it 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 almost always works because once somebody knows, that at the end of the day, you real you care about them, and the reason you're doing things is to help them grow. Right, they'll they'll put up with a bunch of pushing, and you can kind of figure it out. And if they're pushing too hard, they'll tell you, they'll let you know. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 that, and it, and it turns out, you know, there are a lot of young people we have at our our company, or younger than I am at least, mm-hmm. that are excited and ambitious and want to grow that way. So that part's really really fun for me. Nice, nice. Now you you talked about uh, playing live music. Uh, but you know, I, I call it. Uh, I, I read it in in the the New York Times magazine piece that they had on you long, you know, a, a good a good while back. That you you were talking about the first time you you bust. You went to Las Ramblas in in Spain, and that you were like you were given a, a financial derivatives conference talk, <laughs> and that was your first time busking. Uh, that was that was a long time before. Uh, 2014, right? That was like. Oh yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, that was like 2004 or five. Yeah. And 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 what you know, one of the, one of the guys in my songwriter circle, you know, said to me, you know, you, you can get these occasional gigs, but if you want to play a lot, mm-hmm. right? The easiest way to do it is to just go somewhere and busk in the subway and see what people think. And I said, really, you do that? And I so I found a portable piano that I could bring with me and. Mm-hmm. We busked for a bit. That was actually, and then I, w- I was giving a talk in uh, in Barcelona, mm-hmm. and I thought, you know, why not bring my keyboard with me and see if I can busk out there, and and I did it. It was fun, but that was that was early days. Yeah, yeah. And if you can play, if you can play in that environment, and and pour your heart out and be present, even if most of the people aren't, you know, don't care, it's easier to play in an environment where they come and they see you. Yeah, well, we got we we've got a couple of listeners from uh, Barcelona, so shout out to Barcelona. There. Shout out. All right, oh man, I, I I yeah, I love that town. It's it's fantastic. Regular listeners from Barcelona, so we always appreciate a a, a good Barcelona connection for sure. Fantastic. You, have you ever had Bocarones? I have not. You know, if you go to Barcelona and you sit at a bar and you have a beer, you, you can get these Bocarones, which are which are kind of anchovies, but they're not salt salted and preserved. Mm-hmm. They're fresh and mm-hmm. they're. They're amazing, and that—that's the first thing I think of whenever I think of Barcelona. <laughs> all right, all right, I'm—I'm I'm writing it down. And next, uh, and next time, go. next time I'm there, it's happening. Now, after you did that, was had you already busked in New York before you did that, or what, did did you try it after? 
I no, I think I I I done a few times in in New York. I, okay. I'm not, I'm not you know. I don't want to contradict the article, but as I remember it, uh, I, I had busked, I don't know, not too many times, five or six times in New York. Yeah. It didn't become a regular thing for me. The trickiest thing about busking with a keyboard is that it's, you know, you either go for a really heavy keyboard yeah. and then it's going to sound good, or you bring a very light keyboard that's easier to carry around, which is what I did, but it's not as fun to play. Yeah. It's different than busking with a guitar, which is, you know. A little bit easier. Yeah. Easier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, now, uh, you know, you were you were you were you're talking about your first album, uh, just one lifetime. Uh, when you put that album out, how did that compare uh, to to when when you first started, like when you first started seeing returns at Morgan Stanley, or like you said, your your professional goals and whatnot. When you actually got to release that album, how did that compare? You know, you know, Doc. It's funny when I think back on that. I spent a lot of time writing the songs, but I, you know, just poured my heart out, and I, you know, I, I probably could have used somebody critiquing me. Mm-hmm. Somebody else said to me, "You said, you know, you're going to make this album. You should get a producer and do this right." And I thought, no, I'll just like play on my piano and sing in my living room, and I had a nice piano there, and bring a recording engineer. And that's basically what I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I had a friend come in and put up some background vocals, and that was the record. You know that. I would do it differently <laughs> if I had to do that again. So that was an experiment. You know, I didn't. I didn't try to get that commercial with it. You know, I, yeah. it's still available, but yeah. but uh, I've progressed a lot since then. I, I feel like the record before this one, Dissolve, you know, really was a was a big step up for me in terms of songwriting and being serious. That was really for me saying, you know what, if I'm going to do this professionally and get some songs on the radio, which we did with Dissolve. You know, I'm gonna really dive in and do it seriously. And I found a wonderful uh, producer to work with, a guy named Rob Mathis, mm-hmm. who has worked with Sting forever and Panic at the Disco and Elvis Costello and Michelle Branch and countless others. And he's an amazing person, and we've gotten to be friends. And he put his heart and soul into, you know, Dissolve. Yeah. Um, he uh, he found out about me because I, I did this project in New York, uh, saving a recording studio called Power Station, and. And he said, Pete, you know, what do you need? And uh, because I'm so grateful for you, I'll do anything. And I said, Rob, I'm looking for a producer. And he said, I thought you had one. And it's a sad story. The guy that I worked with on my 2014 record, unfortunately, uh, passed from a brain tumor at mm. 60. A guy named Rick DePoffey, a dear friend. And so it, it turned out Rob showed up at a time when I was looking for someone and we've become friends. And he's he worked on the, this last record with me too, Spaces. Yeah. Which I realize we haven't even talked about. We've been just talking about pasta and ultimate frisbee, we'll, and uh, we're get, you know, we'll get there. We're, we're getting there. <laughs> we're working our way through. We'll get there. Well, I mean, Excellent. so so you know, you 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 mentioned that as far as uh, dissolve, it's it's had some of your most popular you know songs as far as streaming wise. You know, uh, yeah. let you in uh, has performed best numbers wise uh you know several hundred thousand listens just on on spotify in your opinion is that song the best in your catalog like i mean do you do you see what the public sees in it or do you say ah they're missing out this is a better one no no you know it's funny um so let you in which by the way just crossed a a million views on youtube nice which you know in this world where people have a billion views it's not a lot but it's uh I love that video. Um, uh, my, my friend Lenny Bass made it, and uh, 
It's a duet with Missy Saltero, who mm. I've been singing with for 10 years plus. Uh, you know, she's in the band. Mm -hmm. uh, we met at a, a, a mutual friend's rehearsal dinner. And, uh, you know, part of the reason I think that that song's so great is, is, is the duet and the combination of our voices. And, yeah. You know, we have another duet coming out on this record called Light Up the Night that mm -hmm. it will be released in the next couple months with the album. We've already released one or two so far. And I, so I, I actually think that is definitely one of the best songs on the on the record. But, you know, it's so hard that the best song for me that I've ever written is the one I just Most wrote. Most recent. You know, yes. I, wrote a, I wrote a song this weekend and I'm like, oh my God, I just loved it. I mean, this is the best song I ever wrote. And if you don't feel like that, you're never going to write it. Yeah. So, you know, in hindsight, that is, I, I, I do love that song. Um, San Diego on that record, I think... Uh, also charted, um, you know that that was a fun song. But you know, my my favorites change. Yeah, I I, do, I love them all. I gotcha. I got well now. Spe speaking of of numbers, I was looking at Spotify, and I noticed three out of your top five listening locations for Spotify are in Australia. You've got Sydney, Brisbane, and uh, Melbourne are all in your top five. Did you do something to the land down under that they just like you more than uh, everywhere else? Or do you have an idea that, why that is? I have no... In fact, you know, it's, it's funny. I probably should, as an artist, know this. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Yeah. That, that the uh, the top three locations... Three out of the five are in Australia. Yeah. I have not toured Australia. We would love to go there at some point. Uh, we were talking about it pre-pandemic. So who knows? Now that I know I have listeners there, maybe we should go down there and... And, and tour around. Um, for me, you know, my goal in doing this is to create wonderful, fantastic music. Mm -hmm. Marketing it is, I mean, that's an important part of being a musician, but I kind of, I, I don't love that part. part. Yeah, no. Not as fun. I mean, you really, because in addition to just being your authentic self, which I try to be all the time, you're actually thinking about, okay, how do I seduce somebody? How do I turn them on? How do I get them interested in this? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just turns out that if you listen to something three or four times, it's going to feel familiar and it's going to feel comfortable and you're going to much more likely like it. So how do you get people to do that? Mm -hmm. Well, you have to get them, you know, to take that risk somehow. Yeah. And, they're, you know, I, so um, that, that's great. I, you know, Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 lear I learned. Yeah, go ahead. Give it a couple months and maybe you can uh, you can set something up, have a little uh, Australian tour. We've got... We've got we've had a couple of bands from Australia on the show, and they've got some great. I mean, the Teskey Brothers. We had those guys on, and man, if you like Motown and Stax Records, those guys are oh, as wow. about authentic sounding as you can get, and they record everything analog, pure analog. They do it all on on tape. And uh, oh, that's wild. It's it's and it's their own studio. Like they've created this whole studio. It's all their equipment. It's it's super impressive. But if you get a chance and you haven't heard them, go back listen to some some Teskey Brother albums. You'll you'll be impressed for sure. And Teskey Brothers, I will make a note of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, now we we're talking about let you in, and you were you you brought up Rob Mathis, and he is he's a fantastic producer. Uh, you know. I, I was aware of Rob before you were coming on the show, and then I was like, oh, he worked with Rob Mathis. Oh, that's cool. Because, you know, like you said, he's worked with Sting. Sting absolutely raves about him. 
I think uh, I was watching one interview and Sting was like, he's my lion. And I was like, oh, that's cool. He's his <laughs> lion. That's awesome. Um, but like, now when you started with Rob and actually started working with him, how, how would you say it changed your trajectory of music production? How did it change the way that you work with music? You, you know, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so when, when Rob first met me, he thought, okay, got it. Here's this rich guy <laughs> who wants to you know get his music out in the world okay i can do this he kind of saved the studio that i love i'm gonna uh i'm gonna work with him yeah and then he got to know me and there was like the light bulb went on at one point because he just saw how much i was struggling over you know a particular lyric and a particular chord change and all that and he mm -hmm. says oh man i get it okay i see what you're aspiring to i see how you know, intensely you're working on this. Wow, this is yeah. cool and crazy. And, uh, you know, and he, he kind of shifted into like, holy, shit, you know, how do I, you know, how do I serve Pete the best? And, and, and you know, for the, the songs on Dissolve, mm -hmm. you know, I would play him for him. And, you know, he's, he's, I'm actually at the point where I don't send him something unless I love it mm -hmm. because he is going to listen so incredibly deeply to every single chord change, every voicing, every lyric. Yeah. You know, it kind of pushes me to make it the best possible thing I could do. I've never met anybody like that. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, we would argue over stuff and we would bat heads because mm -hmm. I have pretty strong opinions. I mean, it's my stuff, but um, I, I learned so much. And most of the time when we batted heads, I would end up conceding going, you know what, you're right. <laughs> but not all the time. Yeah. For this record, for Spaces... It was really fun because there were far fewer things that he said, you know, okay, I think you have to change this. I mean, he made some great suggestions and, you know, he's, he's one of the best arrangers in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just the way he hears that. And, but in terms of lyrics and the way the song structure, I mean, he, you know, he, it would be smaller tweaks than what we had on Dissolve. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, the thing that really was wonderful for us is that he comes in and goes, okay, you know, you need to do this right. These are great songs. We, we need to put strings on and we should go to Abbey Road and put strings on there. I know the best players in Europe and you should just go do this, Pete, because you have the resource. And I thought, come on, Rob, do we, and he goes, yeah, you got to do this. And so we did. Um, I still remember, you know, I, I, I got over there and uh, we had this amazing night recording at Abbey Road mm -hmm. and, um, and then this great Indian meal after. <laughs> That's still my, still my memory, you know, at like three in the morning. For this record, we did the strings and the horns at Capitol Records in LA. It was a little harder to get to London, but also with a bunch of really great players. And that's the thing that he's he brings to it. He he's like, you know what, Pete? I got it. We got the basic tracks. The basic tracks would be with Skip Ward, my bass player, and Dave Silliman on the drums. Mm -hmm. Just really great rhythm section. And then the Kindred Souls, who I tour with, so Missy Saltero, who I mentioned, John Hooley, and Martha McDonald. You know, all uh, they all. Um, Martha plays a violin, Hools plays guitar, and they were all singing on it. Mm -hmm. um, so we had that laid down, and he goes, okay, we got the basic stuff. This is great. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on some string and horn arrangements. And I'm like, cool. And he said, you know what? Feel free to throw some of this stuff out, which, which we ended up, you know, we ended up doing. Is I'm not attached to it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write all this stuff. And I, would, you know, I went to the, you know, go to the studio and listen to the stuff he came up with, and it was, it was amazing. Yeah. We kept, I don't know, 60 or 70% of it. It's great. And, you know, we'd occasionally argue about whether something worked or didn't work, but his his instincts are fantastic. Man. And, hey, does, and he have, awesome. does he ever drop any 
any uh, uh, amazing stories about uh, like working with Rod Stewart or Carly Simon or Sting or anything? Like, oh, one time Sting did this. Did does he? Have oh, oh yeah, out? sure. No, no, yeah. I've totally heard those. I, 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 I can't repeat some of those. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, but yeah, there's definitely. I, you know, I, I uh, according to Rob, Sting has always wanted him to work full time for him. And Rob's response has been, and Sting's an amazing musician. Right. Rob's response has been, you know what, Sting, I'm more useful to you if I work with other people as well, which I really loved. And uh, I, I, th- I, I would agree. I would agree with Rob. I mean, you know, you, you seclude yourself. You're, you're, you're going to get siloed. You're going to silo yourself. You're not going to have new introductions and mutations of new people's music and ideas. So. Th- I think, exactly. Think it's. I think it's better for Rob. Well, b- before we go on to the new album, before we talk about empty spaces or, or spaces, we've got spaces, spaces. a little bit of a Freudian slip there. We've got to talk about something you did during the pandemic uh, with Live Music Society and the documentary series uh, Empty Spaces. Um, so, sure. Live Music Society was created to help small music venues uh, surviving. The, the basically the challenging times of the pandemic uh, and, and keep that connection alive between uh, community and musicians. Uh, and since the fall of 2020, you guys have given out uh, over 50 grants to live music to help them stay afloat. Uh, and I, I looked through the list of venues and I, I couldn't help but notice there were several venues that we have talked about on the show of uh, that artists have loved. I mean, the first one on there, Hotel Cafe in L.A. Uh, yeah. Kobe that we've had on the show, Sleeping Wolf, Mob Rich, all of them have talked about how essential that was. That and really, uh, Kobe, who we just had on a couple of weeks ago, that's been the only show that he's done since the pandemic uh, happened was at Hotel Cafe. And so, uh, obviously, all these venues are essential. Um, and and very important to keep them open. Tell us how you started the the project and and how currently the live music landscape looks to you. Sure. Um, so I'll, I'll start with um, you know we actually conceived of this before the pandemic. I was on that tour um, in 2019 and I you know we played 50 shows and I opened for a couple singer songwriters who were more established. That's how mm-hmm. you. You kind of get access to their fans, and you know they were nice enough to have me. Brendan James was one of the guys. I did two tours with him, and Stephen Kellogg. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that name. Yeah. Um, and then I would go around, and we would get these really warm welcomes in these clubs, and, and these are places where nobody knew who we were, mm-hmm. and uh, they just, you know, they they were supportive of musicians. The the audience was quiet and respectful. The people that worked there loved doing what they were doing. You know, I just thought, wow, this is amazing. And these are kind of the unsung heroes, if you will, of the music world. The venue owners that do this, they're not making a lot of money. They're hardly making any money. They're barely doing it, but they're doing it for love. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're musicians themselves. Maybe they want to give back to the community. It's a combination. So I thought maybe, you know, I'm I'm lucky to be in a position where I have a lot of resources. I have some connections. So I, I decided to start something called the Live Music Society. This is before the pandemic now, mm-hmm. um, where I thought, wow, if we could help these clubs some of them maybe with fundraising, some of them with, uh, you know, sound system design, some of them with ticketing, mm-hmm. you know, could, could we build something that would do, be helpful? And I, and I talked to a number of my friends, uh, uh, Nick Forster, who started E-Town, and Adam Fell, who runs Quincy Jones's record label. 
and uh, Nona Hendricks, uh, who I, I got to know through Berkeley, you know, a great, great musician, uh, people that like to give back and wanted to help, and a, f a number of others. And, and I said, you know, why don't we uh, see what we can do to help these clubs out? Mm -hmm. Now, coincidentally, as soon as we started, the pandemic happened. <laughs> and, it, you know, as a, and, and instead of trying to help them get better, it became trying to help Save them survive. Them. Yeah. We really we, we shifted the focus. We've given away actually a few million dollars since the start of this to these clubs, a lot of grants. Um, and, an, and a number of the clubs have said to us, you know, without you, we probably wouldn't have made it. And, and that's felt really, really great. Uh, I, I feel like we're at the end of it now. Now, you guys in Florida kind of have been there, got there earlier, but I feel like the rest of the world is, is realizing that this last bout of corona isn't as scary or deadly and there are some risks you have to take and let's open things up and i was just in new york a week ago at a packed concert at the beacon and no one was wearing a mask mm -hmm. and and i i think it's it feels like it's it's over and that's just fantastic for these venue owners you know shows are being scheduled we're we're planning our tour in you know we're planning a may tour and a july tour with the band and it, it's just so nice to see things coming back and fingers crossed there's not some other crazy mutation or something else that, that scares us, but um, we would, we've just been glad to play a role in helping these clubs survive. And, for sure. Uh, if you know, that, that, that's one of the benefits for me, you know, of, of kind of getting serious about music later in life. I have resources where I can make things better, and I try to do that. For, for any listeners who haven't checked out the documentary series, it is pretty cool, too, to see... Just the background of some of these clubs, like the Hi-Fi and these, or High Dive, and these other these other great venues across the country, and Denver and Ann Arbor, and just all over the country that you see, uh, and you get to see the background and hear the owners talk about how sort of the relationship between the audience and the and the artist uh, it just grown over the last you know however many decades each one of them have been around so it's uh it's really cool it gives you an appreciation for the places and almost makes you want to go like i want to i want to go there check out a check out a show next time i'm in that city that's cool Th thanks for mentioning that you know the guy that that did those documentaries is actually also the guy that did our um a number of videos on this this uh the record that we're releasing and uh it's chris morgan is mm -hmm. his name dark energy media he's a cool guy a musician himself and he went out and um basically single-handedly made these documentaries there are four or yeah. five of them now and they're all great and they're all different and they capture the spirit of the you know the places that he's he's filming so yeah. i mean they, you know it's, it's kind of magical they're they're all they're like 15 minutes each and yeah you, know, you have uh, people performing that you know play at the club. It, it, it's it's really fun. Very cool. Now, just might be making a reach here, but uh, the documentary series "Empty Spaces," the new album titled "Spaces." Is there any connection between the two, or did it just happen to be that there were spaces in both? Uh, it, it just happened to be that there were spaces in both. There's no connection at all. Um, "Empty Spaces." I actually think Chris came up with that name, and I don't know if he came up with it before or after the. Uh, the album name, but the album Spaces uh, is named for the title track that I wrote. Uh, it's a song about my son. It, it, it closes the album, and it, 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 it's just about wanting to to take more time. Mm -hmm. So the, the lyrics are, I'm going to put more spaces in my days, run less ragged, act less crazed, take more time just to be amazed. I'm going to put more spaces in my days. Mm -hmm. And 
I just kind of thought that as an overarching theme would be a, a cool album title. For sure. Uh, as far as this album goes, like you said, you, you saw progression from uh, for, well from, from the first album that you did with Rob Mathis. But when you take a step back and you mentioned before, you know, you, t- you talked about just one lifetime and you said it was basically me, piano, engineer, and that's pretty much it. What do you what do you see in that trip from just one lifetime to spaces this twenty year period now that this album's coming out here in the next couple of months? When you take a look at both of those albums, uh, what do you notice different in your own music? You, you know, I I think there's a big leap from just from from just one lifetime to the second record, which we haven't talked about at all, which is more than this. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was produced by Ted Cruz, who played piano with Paul Simon, really wonderful guy. Mm-hmm. There's less of a leap from there because that was like a really produced record to the yeah. current one. I think the biggest changes for me from then till now, I worked a lot on my singing, mm-hmm. right? You know, I'd never grown up as a singer. I'd always been a piano player. I had a lot of piano chops. And I, you yeah. know, I, I really started, uh, I, I, I focused on the singing. And that really happened, uh, you know, maybe over the last six or seven years uh, i found a, a couple of great voice teachers in california valerie morehouse mm-hmm. uh, and dean shepherd who you know i've worked with and you know take regular lessons from and just l- realizing that the voice is a muscle you have to exercise uh, i think that was a big transformation for me uh, i think um who who let me break in who who's who's sure. the singer if you could sing like anybody out there who just blows you away that you're like, ah, oh, if I could sing like that person? I, I, you know, I, I love, I love my voice now. <laughs> I love the quality of my voice, and I already sing like myself. Yeah. Um, you know, you listen to Bruce Springsteen, mm-hmm. and he's not a great trained singer at all. No. But when you listen to him, you feel every note, every word, and. And so, to me, that's what's amazingly inspiring. On the on the female side, if you take Brandy Carlisle, mm-hmm. uh, unbelievable. If you take uh, Sean Colvin, who I was turned on to, I remember seeing her when she was playing for No One, um, or Lucinda Williams. You know, uh, wow. Yeah. But uh, I mean, in terms of uh, vocal presence and all that, you know, uh, Emily Emily Harris. Mm-hmm. How's about that one? For uh, there 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 are so many people that I admire more for their deep vocal technique and training, but you know, it's really, to me, it's about conveying that emotion. And even, you know, I, I love listening to Dylan. Oh, it's... <laughs> and Dylan's voice is, you know, whatever. Technically you know, horrible, yes. <laughs> Elvis Costello, right? Elvis Costello has amazing lyrics and he really cares, but, you know, vocal training, whatever. And and so, to me, it, it it's... it's uh, yeah, it's about the feeling. If you can transmit it, yeah, it doesn't matter the way it comes out. Um, I, 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 I definitely wholeheartedly believe if you can convey that emotion, you can get people to feel that emotion that you want. It doesn't matter about the technical ability. People will feel the emotion and they'll love that uniqueness too. And I mean, you've got a lot of those those singers out there that have got unique voices you know that's the biggest thing doc that that you know with rob mathis by the second record he was like you know what pete you got this thing and you know 
He's like, you know, don't let it go to your head, but I've worked with a lot of people, but you just, you just have a sound. You know, I know what your sound is. It's the Pete sound, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's not technically perfect, but it's your sound and it works mm -hmm. and it's authentic and it comes through. And that's a lot of people struggle for that. And so I, I want to work with that and expand that. I don't want to fix it or change it because it works. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and, you know, I feel like from my journey, from those earlier records, I don't know if I, you could have said that I had that sound. I think I have that sound now. That, um, it, it, I think that's it, the biggest thing that's evolved. It, it, it takes a long time for a person, for an artist to get that a lot of times. It's definitely hard to step into that when you're an artist, I think. And uh, yeah, now that you've, you've found it, you can just push it out there. You can, you can. And then it also, I mean, and you, you look at Springsteen too, it also evolves, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not a stagnant thing. It's something that keeps changing over time. Yeah. You know, and um, as you, you know, your body changes and you, you age, whatever, you know, different things come out in your timbre and your pitch. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, you know. Um, Def definitely so. different. I mean, like you listen to Elton John at the beginning of his career to Elton John, uh, in the last couple of years, way way different, uh, but it's still Elton. It's you know, yeah, it's 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 changed. It's different, but you know, it's it's still Sir Elton. What song can you tell us on Spaces uh, to look out for that that hasn't been released yet? That you're like, that's gonna be a banger. That's gonna be the one. Which one do you want us to look out for? So I, I know, like we already talked about, you love all the songs, but which one are you excited for for people to hear? Gosh, that's such a hard question. It's like you know, it might it's, choosing uh, children. Which one of my no. which one of my which one of my kids do I like best? Yeah. But I'll, I'll tell you about a few of them. The first okay. couple signals we're releasing. So we released Tin Palace. That video's out there. People can see it. Yeah, it's a really fun one, and you'll already see where you know what Spaces is about. You mm -hmm. know, and and. Just the way the horns and all that work. The video is amazing. Chris Morgan did it. The second single is probably the most emotionally powerful. When I had the band listen to the record, that's the one that they were like, whoa. And the name of that song is Gone. Mm. And that video is going to be released in the next month or so. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that one's just kind of, it's a little more heart-wrenching. And, uh, you know, um, kind of the the, you know, the most emotionally raw, if you will, of songs on the record. Gotcha. So I'd say that one, and then the one right after that that we're releasing with the record, which is another duet with Missy and myself. That one's called "Light Up the Night." And uh, I've, he I've heard about that one. I've 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 heard some things, and I hear good things about that one. I have that one circled. That's the one that I have circled. You're looking for "Light Up the Night." Yeah, yeah. that that's coming out with the record. You know, you also, you know, you get, you know, Missy's voice is amazing and the way we blend together is great. And the, the video, Lenny Bass shot this one again. You know, we asked him to come back and do it. So that, that one's going to be good. So uh, we're hoping that one gets a, a nice amount of traction. You know, it's... Uh, I'm, I'm excited we'll to see. listen. I'm excited to listen. Now, do you have, cool. do you have uh, shows lined up for Spaces uh, in particular as far as the tour? Yeah, you know, we've been we've been holding back with the pandemic, but we just started booking, so we got a whole bunch of shows happening in May. You know, we're not coming down to Florida yet, but we should. We've been invited to. We got we got to figure that out. And then also in July, we're going around the country doing shows, so we're we're gonna you know do a couple different tour sections, and and you know we'll kind of see uh, see how the music does, and yeah. you know if we get the, some of the traction, we hope we'll we'll be adding a lot more dates. But I think we have something like uh, twenty twenty five dates already. 
Awesome. It's really fun, and you know when we go around, I I, I just love playing with the musicians and yeah, turning things on and you know being really back fun. out there. It, indeed, it's fun. I, I just it just keeps me alive. Can't wait until the album comes out. It comes out May twentieth. Spaces, Pete. We are up against a break, but I want to thank you for coming on the show and spending some time with us. Doc, it was really a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Listeners, you can keep up with Pete at his website, PeteMuller.com. You can follow him on social media at Pete Muller Music, or you can stream all of his music on streaming services. Right now, let's take a listen to the uh, the single that he just talked about, Tin Palace, right here on the Doc G Show. Tasha waits by the river for her daily free sardine My friend Wendy's such a giver And I'm caught up in her dream Now a neon green iguana Is trapped on a rusted leaf And as she tries to free her Laugh with disbelief They say time stops at the Tin Palace But there's no such thing as time When you're spilling all your secrets Watching her feed the egrets And you feel the world unwind Raindrops on the rooftop Make such a soothing sound They wake me from my short nap And I take a look around Kuan Yin staring at me She's got such a peaceful smile All of Wendy's crazy colors Bring out my inner child They say time stops at the Tin Palace But there's no such thing as time When you're dancing in the kitchen To a soulful French musician Feeling mighty Grateful to be dry They say time 
stops at the Tin Palace But there's no such thing as time And I'm grateful for the freedom To not need a reason And slow the spinning of my mind I'm grateful for the freedom To not need a reason And slow the spinning of my mind Doc G Show, you just heard Tin Palace from our friend Pete Moeller. There we go. Big Pete. That's it, man. Pete, nice guy. Nice guy, Mike. That's right. Enjoyable fella. I mean, just sort of, you know, just gets it done. He seems like a guy that's very self-motivated, you know? Mm-hmm. Doesn't really need any external yeah. things to get him going. He's just like, I'm going to write songs. I'm gonna surf. I'm gonna do yoga. I'm gonna ride bikes. I'm gonna I'm gonna conquer the financial industry. <laughs> like, yeah, just does it all. Me, I'm like, ah, I guess I'll wash my face this morning. Jeez, <laughs> like you know, like it's self motivation. It's a tough thing, you know. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. Got to take a couple deep breaths. Get into it. Uh, Pete's mm-hmm. taken a couple deep breaths, you know, and uh, he's dominated the world with it. Uh, he's got his new album coming out, guys, May 20th. Spaces coming out. You want to check it out. It's good stuff. Uh, hopefully, Pete will come down to uh, Florida sometime. We can have him on the show, you know. That's what I said. And he said, yeah. I would love that. And I said, Pete, huh. I would love you loving that. You know, mm-hmm. and then we had yeah. a way too long staring into each other's <laughs> eyes. It was just, uh, just a lovely, just uh, wait, what? Lo- staring longingly into each other's eyes. Uh, Pete, thank you for being on the show. We appreciate it. Uh, if you get a chance, listeners, you're in an area where Pete's coming your way. Make sure to check him out. He loves live shows. He's all about it. So true. Um, Mike, we've got two birthday suits left. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, born on March 16, 1989 in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Growing up, our birthday suit wearer loved sports. He played baseball, football, and basketball. He was actually good friends with future NFL quarterback Sam Bradford. Hmm. Eventually, he would decide to focus on basketball. His senior year, he averaged 26.8 points. 
15.1 uh, rebounds, 4.9 assists, and 2.9 blocks a game. Jeez. Wow. Some stats. Good stats. Good stats. That's good stats. He was a McDonald's All-American, and he decided to go to Oklahoma. He only played two years at Oklahoma, but his sophomore year, he d- he dominated. He was big, uh, big 12 Player of the Year, NCAA Rebounding Leader, National College Player of the Year. He averaged 22.7 points a game, 14.4 rebounds a game, and 2.3 assists per game. Wow. He was drafted by the Los Angeles Clippers in 2009. First pick overall. Since then, he's gone on to win a slam dunk contest, win Rookie of the Year, be All-NBA five times, and a uh, All-Star six times. 2018, he was traded to the Detroit Pistons. Then in 2021, he was traded to the Brooklyn Nets. And, if I do say so myself, he has some pretty funny commercials. Name that mm. birthday suit wearer. Is it DeAndre Jordan? Not DeAndre Jordan. Ah, uh, why? Did Who I think? else you got? Because he was on the Clippers. He's on the Nets now. Think Lob City on the Clippers. Who else did you have? Lob City on the Clippers. Oh, Blake Griffin. Blake, uh, Blake Griffin is correct. Blake Griffin. Blake I'm Griffin. not gonna count your first guess. We're not counting that one. We're counting the we're counting okay. the second one there. Yes, Blake Griffin is correct. Turning 33, Blake Griffin. Wow, good for him. Yeah, That's good age. That dude, uh, he's a funny guy, man. He, yeah, he is. He he actually, I don't know if you know this, Mike. He did stand up for a little bit. Yeah, he did. He tried it a few times. He did stand up. You think we can get him on the mm-hmm. show? I don't think we could, but I'll give it. I a, think we could. I'm gonna give yeah, it. Yeah, we sh- could. That's positive, Let's Mike. Try it. That's positive. I'm gonna put it out yeah. there. Since you said, Nine I out think. Of 10. I mean, you said <laughs> I think we can on Doris Burke, and that totally did not turn out. But <laughs> we're gonna try it with Blake Griffin. I was really upset yeah, that I didn't even it. get a response. I didn't get a Tom Brady response from Doris. Come on, Doris. Nothing. Nothing. Not a single, mm. no, your show sucks, and I don't want to be on it. Like, jeez. Yeah. Come on. Just saying. I mean, mm. maybe she's worried that we do what we did with Tom Brady's response to her response. I get it. <laughs> uh, anyways, Blake Griffin turning 33, Mike. What a, what a beast when he came into the NBA, huh? Like, that mm-hmm. dude yeah. just, I mean, the dunks he was doing then, they were insane. Yeah, they were. I mean, yeah, he's jumping over the car and whatnot. You remember that nonsense? Yeah, I mean, it it he did jump over the car, but it was more over the hood. Oh, it wasn't super impressive. Like, bit. I mean, as far yeah. as like jumping over a car. Yeah, I mean, granted, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have been able to get over like <laughs> a, a tire, but like you know. <laughs> Uh, still, like when you hear jumping over a car, you're thinking from hood to trunk, and then you yeah, see yeah, him yeah. do it, and you're like, okay, <laughs> okay, but still, yeah. like super, super impressive. Um, mm. wh- who, who's your favorite dunker of all time? Was it w- would it be Aaron Gordon because he was a uh, Orlando Magic? This is kind of a random one, but I I love the style of Clyde Drexler. Mm. Smooth. Clyde Drexler is great dunks. Like his dunk style is awesome. Cl- I mean, Jordan has the the nice, like really nice style dunks, but Clyde Drexler is like, I feel like right behind Jordan. Clyde the Glide. 
No. Yeah. No, no effort. That's the thing. Clyde yeah. the Glide was the last. Like, he epitomized, I feel like, the uh, style of the 1970s uh, players, even though he played mm -hmm. predominantly in the 80s and yeah. 90s. Like, because in the 70s, everybody was cool. That was the thing. Was mm -hmm. like you're too cool to even play basketball. You're like whatever. I'm playing basketball. It's no big yeah. deal. <laughs> Get ready for this move. I mean, like you look at like Dr. J. You look at George Gervin, the Iceman. They were cool plays. Like you know, they were also wearing chains, right? They were yeah, wearing jewelry. While yeah, they were and like Art Gilmore. All these guys were smooth. You know, and that yeah. was that was Clyde Drexler. He'd go up for a dunk, and it was no like you know grimace face mm -hmm. and oh in your face, man. Yeah. It was just like slam. Yeah, you saw that happen, yeah. and then just cruise down the court. Like one yeah. of my favorite dunks he had of all time against uh, when he was in college on Houston, and he went up in the NC State in the game. Uh, no, no, no. The game before they played NC State against Louisville, he goes up for mm. a dunk and literally just like knees to the chest of the dude yeah. from like the foul line, just brings it back and Ugh. whop. And I'm just like, good Lord, that is some soaring. That is. Yeah. I mean, if, I want to watch this clip now. Oh, it's nice. Watch this clip. Watch it, man. It will. It'll get you jacked. It will get you jacked. <laughs> uh, okay. Happy birthday to Blake Griffin, turning thirty-three. Mike, last birthday suit. Here we go. Born on March sixteenth, nineteen ninety. Uh, uh oh, five. I I lost my. I lost my last uh, my last digit here. Hold on, I'm gonna look it up real quick, Mike. Girl, come on. Give me just a second, just a second. Wham. 92, 92, 92. March 19, 1992, in Alameda, California. His father was playing for the Golden State Warriors when he was born. Our uh, our our birthday suit wearer moved with his father, so when he was traded to the Heat, our birthday suit wearer moved with him. Just like his father, he always wanted to play basketball. He ended up playing high school basketball at Miami Palmetto High School and ended up getting a scholarship at the University of Michigan. Hmm. He ended up playing three seasons with the Wolverine, and his junior year, they went to the championship game and ended up lo losing to Louisville. He ended up uh, going to the NBA draft in 2013 and was selected by the New York Knicks 24th overall. In 2016, he was traded to the Atlanta Hawks. Then in 2017, he was traded back to the Knicks. Then in 2019, he was traded to the Dallas Mavericks. For his NBA career, he has averaged 13.9 points, 2.7 rebounds, and 1 point assist per game. Do you have an idea who it is? Hmm... You, what was his? What were, what were his teams? He was drafted by the, the Knicks, Knicks. Went to the Hawks. Went back to the Knicks. Went to the Mavericks. Hmm. I'm, if you can't think of it, I'm going to give you a huge clue. Uh, I mean, part of me wants to say Weber, like Chris Weber. <laughs> way, son? way no. too late for Weber. Way too late. Okay. Weber okay. was back yeah. in '93. He was drafted. Uh, okay. Here you go. His actually, his dad played with uh, Chris Weber. Uh, okay. His dad, Tim Hardaway. Who is this? Um. Wow. 
I mean, is it is it Tim Hardaway? I don't know. Tim Hardaway <laughs> Jr. Yeah. Tim Hardaway Jr. There we okay. go. Tim. I had Hard- no idea, Doc G. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's let's be honest. He's a bit of a deep cut. Uh, he's, yeah. He's never been. He's never been an all star. He got close. I think one year he got close, but. Tim mm-hmm. Hardaway, he's just one of those. He's one of those fantastic role players. I mean, listen, listen to those stats: thirteen point nine points, two point seven rebounds, one point eight assists a game. Mm-hmm. That's getting not things bad. done for your team. Yeah, that's getting yeah, it is. That's getting things done. You may not make an All Star in an All NBA, but you're getting things done. You know? Yeah, you are. And guess what? You're getting a birthday done, Tim Hardaway Jr. He's he's thirty. What? Tim Hardaway Jr. is 30. I can't believe that. It's crazy. Jeez. It's crazy. Uh, congratulate, congratulations. Happy birthday. Uh, <laughs> congratulations on your birthday. Well done. Uh, happy birthday, Tim Hardaway. Mike, we've got a fantastic show coming up. I'm very excited. Band originally, I guess you'd say now they're out of Athens, but originally out of uh, Savannah, uh, Georgia, favorite city of mine. I love Savannah. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, a group called Perpetual Groove, Mike. Perpetual okay. Groove. I like that. Great rock band. Just, uh, I guess you could uh, maybe classify them as like a jam band, but they got some good tunes, man. And uh, they're back on the road again. They're coming through Jacksonville very soon. So we thought, hey, Let's have them on the show. Can't wait to talk to these guys. It's going to be fantastic, Mike. But for now, we got to wrap up the show. I have been your host. With me, as always, none other than Mikey Maximus the Furnicus Charette. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Doc G. Of course. And until next time, guys, zip it up and zip it out. Zip it a doodah.